0: Welcome to Highball Politics, what America's bartenders are hearing. This podcast is a bar crawl around America to find out what real people around the country are saying about hot political issues and culture. I'm David Kochel, longtime political consultant and veteran of six presidential campaigns.
1: And I'm Rob Stutzman, political consultant based in California, once worked for a governor named Schwarzenegger. But more than that, Kochel and I are best friends and have drank together in a lot of bars across this glorious country. More than
0: I can count. That's right, Rob. Each week, we'll interview a bartender in a different U.S. city and state to find out what people there really care about when it comes to politics and culture. Why bartenders?
1: Because bartenders have the pulse of their patrons and therefore the pulse of America, real America. When Kochel and I fly into a city to work and we want to know what's on people's minds about politics, culture, and pocketbooks... We do the only sensible thing and find a bartender.
0: And to kick things off, we'll find out what drink the locals are ordering, get the recipe and knock back a few while we chat with our guest. You can find the recipe for each week's cocktail in the show notes. And I can tell
1: you some of these will be amazing. If you decide to make this week's signature cocktail at home please share a pic on instagram or tweet about it with the hashtag #HighballPodcast. and if
0: you're a bartender or you'd like to nominate your favorite bartender to be on our podcast please email us at highballpolitics at gmail.com with the name of the bartender in the bar and why they be perfect for our show Today, we're talking with Johnny Martinez, who is the owner of Georgia
1: Beer Garden in Atlanta. But before we chat with Johnny, let's set a bit of context about what's going on in the news and why Georgia is so important to American politics. So Kochel, Georgia, literally as we record this podcast, Donald Trump is being booked in Mm -hmm. Manhattan. So this is quite a week in American politics. And Georgia, you know, embodies so much of this. So, you know, quick recap. Biden beats Trump by about 12,000 votes in Georgia in the 2020 election. Trump demands that the Secretary of State find him some votes. Georgia is uncontested. A lot of the election denial has everything to do about Georgia as well as like Arizona. This is the first time we watch Republicans, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and Governor Brian Kemp, Stand up to Trump, which leads to them getting challenged by Trump primary opponents two years okay. later. I mean, it's just all this crazy stuff going on. Meanwhile, the balance of the U.S. Senate in 2020 was in Georgia, and the Georgia runoff went yep. Democrats. We're not going to Ossoff win, giving Democrats the majority, and then just this last election, Warnock has to run again against Herschel Walker in one of the most you-can't-make-this-crap-up elections we ever saw, (laughs) because Herschel Walker was nuts. It just doesn't (laughs) stop in Georgia. And we have even talked about Stacey Abrams, who's the darling of progressives in America, even though she's never won a statewide election. It's exhausting, and these four people are going to be the center of the universe in 2024, because they're one of a handful of swing states that will decide who wins the White House. Well, fortunately, we got one coming up. It is a crazy state
0: from that perspective. It's also a state that has really kind of launched the careers of a lot of famous national politicians. Newt Gingrich, obviously a member of Congress who rose to speaker in 1994. You got Marjorie Taylor Greene now, who is one of the most famous and recognizable politicians, just was on 60 Minutes last week. Stacey Abrams, who before this last election was being talked about as a potential national candidate maybe a vice presidential candidate or presidential candidate which raised millions of dollars. Yeah, it's a wild state. And I'm really looking forward to this interview to see if we can drill down and kind of see what's
1: really going on. I can't wait, let's get to it.
0: Today we're talking with Johnny Martinez who is owner of Georgia Beer Garden in Atlanta. Johnny, welcome. It's great to be here, thank you.
1: Hey Johnny, it's great to have you with us. So start off by telling us about Georgia Beer Garden. Where are you at? What's the establishment like? And who's there most nights? Sure, absolutely. Georgia Beer Garden is
2: located in Old Force Ward in Atlanta, Georgia. We're in the King Historic District, so we're technically in a national park. We are 420 Edgewood Avenue, 420 Edgewood, to make it easier for the kids. I remember, <laughs> uh, we have 24 taps. We specialize in beers that are primarily made in the state of Georgia. And then we also reach out to our neighboring states, Alabama, Carolina, Tennessee, and Florida. And in our kitchen, we have a group called Humble Mumble, which is a Atlanta-based food pop-up that's doing a long-term pop-up here, great write-ups online. And uh, we're really happy about Georgia Beer Garden being a space for people to communicate. We want this space to be a place for conversation. You come here, you get good food, you get good beer. We have the largest backyard in downtown Atlanta. We back up the Ebenezer Baptist Church. You simply come with your friends and family and um, enjoy the space and hopefully commune. We we want people to talk
0: when they're here. So Ebenezer Baptist Church, right across the street, that is the church where Martin Luther King preached and also the church where uh, Reverend Warnock, now Senator Warnock, was the head pastor, is that right? And correct. We are very lucky to be in a
2: place that had so much history to it. This whole area does. I mean, it's impossible to ignore the history
0: that is Dr. King, that is that backs up next to us and that surrounds us. Of all the bartenders and bar owners we've talked to, you're a little different, I think, from the profile of some of the others is where you do encourage politics. You bring politics in the door and host events and that sort of thing. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah, we wear our politics on our sleeves here and we're
2: not ashamed of it. We host a lot of events that are very politically oriented. In Georgia, we have hosted people like Stacey Abrams multiple times. In fact, we organized a late night rally for her on the street because we're in a bar district. When Senator Warnock became Senator Warnock, he did that here. He was at Georgia Beer. Park. We hosted Andrew Yang when the National Democratic Socialists of America came to Atlanta for their national convention, the their night Party. But at the same time, you know, on a personal level, I would consider myself a leftist. I also believe in freedom of speech, I'm a radical when it comes to that. I don't police the conversations that people have here. That's not my place. Now, if people get obnoxious or rude, purposely attack other people there, then that is, but otherwise, have your conversation. When Stacey Abrams was first running against Brian Kemp for governor, you know, they had a debate scheduled that was canceled the last minute. So we invited everyone to our backyard to have that debate. Obviously, neither Abrams or Kemp said yes, but Ted Metz, who was the libertarian candidate for governor. He did say yes. And so we brought in a candidate who was a Republican for state Senate. We brought in the state agricultural candidate who was a Democrat. And we had a big debate slash conversation about the differences between the modern political parties and
1: why it is that we can't seem to communicate in a civil way. That's outstanding. We've often explored on this podcast, What we come back around to it's the notion of the public house. This is a place for people to gather. We always say, well, we should have the bartenders or bastards. It's where people gather the commute. You're in a fascinating neighborhood. What are your patrons like? What do they do? Where do they come from? Are they in the neighborhood? Sure. Yeah, I think uh, Beer Parton has a very interesting demographic group that comes in.
2: It's true for this entire street, I would say. And then we simply pick up part of that. Edgewood is definitely the most diverse street for going out in the city of Atlanta, which to me means it's probably one of the most diverse streets for going out in Georgia. Possibly means it's one of the most diverse streets in the Southeast. I won't get Mm -hmm. too obnoxious and go beyond that. And so at Georgia Beer Garden, we get a lot of activists, honestly. We get a lot of people who are very interested in politics, who communicate with each other on a regular basis, who are out there trying to make changes, whether they are new urbanists whether they are working on issues for the trans community, a lot of it's local stuff, but then national as well. I would say that our demographic has a higher percentage of passport
1: holders than most ours.
2: We also get a lot of people who are from just other countries who come through. It's an interesting mix. And depending on the night, it might feel different depending on what the event is and who's in here. We don't have a lot of people who live locally nearest. Our particular part of town is still going through a lot of changes.
0: And so there's not a lot of residents
2: in the area just yet.
0: So we do need to get to some regular business here. We always feature a, in most cases, the signature cocktail. You're at Georgia Beer Garden. So why don't you tell us what your signature beer is? Oh my goodness. You know, we have 24 on tap and they're all delicious. No, they are, but they aren't
2: all delicious, but it's been fascinating over the years to watch what's been our top sellers. And I would say probably one of our signature beers that we've never taken off tap is Rapturous. Rapturous that comes from, the Three Taverns Brewing here in Georgia, it's a fruited sour and it yeah. is a sort of lacto fermented. There's a lot of raspberry in it as far as the puree goes in, but then it's the wheat and it's a pilsner malt base. And it ends with this really nice tart, but not too tart fruit forward beer. And it's great because if you yourself like sours and you can't get your friend or your friends to enjoy a sour, this is a great gateway sour. You know, this sour is like a cigarette. You're going to have it once and then later you're (laughs) going to think, gosh, I really want another one. But I think one of the other reasons that people like it so much is we give what we call a rapturita, which is that pint of rapturous and a shot of tequila in it.
0: And then it just tastes like this great beer margarita. (laughs) That's a first, I think, for our show.
1: Well, you know, we're finally emerging from this long winter in the West and Mm. turning towards that type of beverage. Sounds very refreshing.
2: You get your floaters and you sit out in the pool and you have one
1: of these, that will turn into five and then it's time for it. So John, let's get back to some politics. What you have to contribute here is going to be fascinating. I mean, Georgia, we've, we've already told our listeners before we brought you on, just recapping the center of the freaking universe of politics that Georgia has been. I'd got to imagine in some ways it starts to get a little exhausting, but it's interesting. It's this purple state, right? It's a swing state, but very much this urban versus suburban dynamic that we see in states this size, that that's what levels it out. Now, you're there in the heart, sounds like really the hotbed of the urban progressive political side. What's the feeling like with, you know, the people in your bar, particularly the ones that are coming to the political events that are engaged, that are progressive? How do they feel and think about their fellow Georgians that are beyond the metro area, whose politics are opposite?
2: Yeah, it's a very interesting dichotomy between what you get within the city and outside the city. You'll hear people say, what do you get if you take Atlanta out of Georgia? And the answer is typically Alabama. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and it's a hard defined rule. You know, It's it, once you get out beyond the suburbs, it's very different, right? You'll see Trump signs still up everywhere. And if you mm-hmm. are inside the city, it's the exact opposite. There is an invisible wall that surrounds downtown Atlanta, particularly, but the in town portion of it. Even from the suburbs, and when I speak to people, the impression I get is that we're more divided than we've ever been. And yet, at the same time, people are really—they're exhausted at being angry about everything. Yeah, they're exhausted that everything mm-hmm. is political, right down to what you eat. Mm. And some people just, you know, want to order a salad, and maybe that doesn't mean that they're necessarily, you know, against the change in Roe v. Wade. And I think that's unfortunate because it doesn't leave a lot of room for us to even have conversations where we find common. People are tired and in the city, you definitely get this feeling, and not just activists, but everyone, where people are tired, at least in the city of Atlanta, of the city of Atlanta improving things in the city for people who don't live here. And as more and more people live here, they want to see the city do things for people who live here and not just for people in the suburbs who come out on the weekends. And Mm -hmm. I feel like the divide is worse than it's ever been. You know, I have friends who live in the suburbs who anytime there's any sort of march they send me a message. Are you okay? Uh, Well, yes, (laughs) i It's just a simple march. It's not everything, it's being burnt down. And it's just really hard to get around that change of what we're seeing. I don't think we've ever been more divided. I can say that in the crowd that I've seen when we first opened one of our other bars
0: to now, people are more divided. Let me ask you a little bit about the Republican party in Georgia. You mentioned the Trump signs in rural Georgia probably the Trumpiest Trumpster of all time. Marjorie Taylor Greene is, you know, in rural Georgia, you know, representing a congressional district, I think, north of you. And at the same time, there are two Republicans who ran in tough primaries against Trump-backed opponents who won their primaries overwhelmingly and then went on to win. It's almost like you've got this, I don't know if it's really even an open split in the party, but you've got, you know, the governor of Georgia, who very much opposed by President Trump over the election in 2020, and Brad Raffensperger. I mean, it's kind of fascinating that, that President Trump didn't get what he wanted out of those primaries as he was winning primaries all over the rest of the country. So how did that work? How did that happen? You know, I think in the state of Georgia, there has always been this battle within the GOP between people who
2: always been there, the establishment, and whoever's coming in that's new. And that the new people have always been louder, and certainly more vocal. And they're more in your face. The establishment has always been cool, calm, and collective about what they do. And to see this fight within the GOP, and how it's worked out, I don't think it's that different. You know, if you go all the way back to 1988, you know, the Georgia uh, GOP wasn't even sat at the national convention because the Pat Robertson people had taken over at all the district mm. level. So, I don't think anything has changed that way. What has changed is that more of the people who are on one side have begun to take over. it used to be a 70-30 split. I would say it's more fifty fifty now. But I think rank and file members or just most Georgians above a certain age in general are fairly conservative, but they also believe in the rule of law. And I think that what happened to Raffensperger and Kemp is a really good example of the limits of what Donald Trump can do. And In Georgia, at least, it turns out that if you have a certain amount of money and you want business to work the way it's supposed to work, and if you have a large extended family of people who disagree with you, it moderates your view. And I think they realized that if they beat Kemp, even though I wanted Abrams to win, I think they knew that if Kemp had lost the primary, that Abrams would have won Gerald. And I'm not quite sure what all the final details with Raffensperger are, other than the people in his office are diehard Republicans. They believe in all the same things that these Trump supporters believe. They just also believe that if you lose the election, you lose the election. Yeah, they believe in math. They believe in math, <laughs> <laughs> which is not always unfortunate in Georgia. Yeah, so I think that internal scribble is going to continue. I don't know how it's going to end up, but it's going to yeah. be fascinating to watch.
1: Well, Kemp, I mean, really hasn't gotten much notoriety for being the ultimate Republican who really kind of stood up and defeated Trump. But DeSantis has kind of seen as the case of the guy that can stand up to Trump. But Kemp really was, I think, the first one to do it over I a substantive it. issue. Yeah, he did it. So you have a pretty politically engaged patronage. Politics is part of what you guys do there at the beer garden. And it's very progressive. But there's the big question right now heading the next year for Democrats on Joe Biden, should he or shouldn't he? What's the general feeling about the president amongst the patrons?
2: I think that the vast majority of people who come in here, they don't like Joe Biden. They voted for Joe Biden because they hated Donald Trump. Mm. Uh, I've only voted for Joe Biden once in my entire life. And that was to defeat Donald Trump in this state. And I think there are a lot of people who look at that. If Trump were to somehow manage to get the nomination, that's probably the only way that Joe Biden wins, I think, at least in this state, he probably would because people are just over that. But I also think people are hungering for something more, right? They want people who speak to their issues. They want people who understand them. But I think that Joe Biden, and to a certain extent, Donald Trump, they're just viewed as being too old and too out of touch. And now I don't believe in ageism. I'm a leftist. So I can't believe in any of <laughs> I think that it does weigh on people, right? It's hard to separate his age from him. And I think that a lot of people on the left, especially in town,
1: are ready to see some so if there actually was say a progressive challenge you think there'd be some interest in that amongst the people you know
2: oh yeah for sure i don't think that they would win in the state of georgia but i bet they get a third maybe even more yeah and what's the feeling about vice president harris i've not heard a single person mention her name in fact, the only people I hear talking about are Republicans. And she sort of disappeared, really, as far as what I hear. It's funny because a lot of our local activists are very involved in improving the justice system, legalizing marijuana, things like that. And I think Harris still has that whiff of law enforcement around here to some people. So it is funny to me that Republicans activists talk about her like she's this giant communist. And then you hear leftist activists talk about her like she is this prison guard law enforcement officer.
1: (laughs) So this isn't the first time this has come up out of a more urban demographic with Harris and her law enforcement background, impeding her from being able to genuinely lead like a progressive parade. It's fascinating to hear that feedback again.
2: Your baggage sticks with you. and, And now if you've got a record, people look back on it and young people in particular, Gen Z. They care about those things. They want to know where you're coming from, what's your story, what has brought you to this point where you think the way you think. And if they don't like it, then they're just going to not be interested. If Biden were to pass away in office and Harris were to become president, I don't think she'd get any
0: additional support from at least the people I've Interesting. So Johnny, you come to us now talking as a proud progressive, but it wasn't always that way. Tell us a little bit about your background in politics, how you got into it and what led you to where you are now. Oh, wow. I definitely got involved
2: at a very young age. When I was thirteen, my neighbor took me to go volunteer for President Reagan's campaign, his re election, and Newt Gingrich's campaign. My parents wanted me out of the house. And so that was how I started. And from there I got really involved because the GOP, at least where I was growing up, South Town, Clayton County, was very different. It was one party rule in the state of Georgia for over a hundred years. To run as a Republican was to be a crazy person, basically. You know, the people I was supporting were dental hygienists. My high school principal, you know, these were local people who were blue collar, who knew what was going on. So I was involved in Newt Gingrich. I got those campaign staff at some point I was friends of Newt Gingrich, I spoke at the Republican National Convention in 88, because they named me Teenage Republican of the Year. Like, yeah, you know, they like to put the little brown ones up front. So I'm brown. So they put me up there. From there, I ended up running for office. I ran for office for the state house, district 95, against this very nice lady named Gail Buckley, who signed a hate crimes bill that included sexual orientation. And since I myself am gay, but was deep in the closet, that was my way of proving that I wasn't gay by running against her being okay with gay people. And then I eventually came out. And when I came out, that started my movement to the left. And then being in town started my movement to the left. You know, I see the failures of our current system and I just want them to be better. That move from right, and I would consider that center, by the way, back then I consider that center from center, right to left, that took place over 30 years. And now here I am now, big old leftist. (laughs) (laughs) I love it when people are like, you're a communist now. Like, yeah, I'm a communist who's interested in my bottom line. I don't wait, hold on.
1: You're quite the entrepreneurial person for to be a communist, not so sure about that. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever bumped into Newt Gingrich again after all those years?
2: I did,
1: I bumped into Newt with my ex
2: years ago. In fact, I purposely went out of my way. I knew he was gonna be at an event and I would not seen him since I'd come out. I think at the time I was so young, I wanted there to be some sort of shock value to it. So I brought my partner at the time, you know, saw him, he recognized me and he remembered me and I introduced him to my partner, thinking there'd be some thing. And all that happened is that he was very polite. Yeah. To you. Uh, he was never nothing but polite. That's nice. It's good to hear the civil stories from our politics today. Good for nude. I mean, I think it helps that his sister came out. I used to think it was silly to ask people to come out, but I think it's helpful because that changes minds. Once you know someone who's impacted by legislation, you view that legislation different,
1: but you know, not all Republicans are California Republicans. So Johnny, one of the fun things we do is with our bartenders, ask them to come up with a fictional, although some of them sounded rather tasty cocktail, or it can be a beer that would be identified with a famous politician from the state, which they represent. So we've asked you today to come up with a recipe for a Stacey Abrams, as well as a Marjorie Taylor Greene, because we couldn't think of two politicians that could represent each side of the spectrum, probably in Georgia, any more than those two. What do you have for us? Well, one, you're so right. I don't know that you'd ever see them together
2: but I'm holding (laughs) out for dancing with the stars. I think that would be great. Maybe they could do something (laughs) together. Uh, um, You know, I love that question. I think the Stacey Abrams is in some ways a little bit harder to do, but I would say that if there is a beer, that that would have to be tropicalia by Creature Comforts. Tropicalia is a balanced, soft and juicy IPA. There's a lot of passion fruit. I think she brings a lot of passion to what she's doing. Very citrus hop forward. And it has come out of nowhere in Georgia to really take over. What people think about when they go to bars. I mean, Tropicalia is the kind of beer now in Georgia that people order by name and it's abbreviated. You'll hear people say Trop. And once people abbreviate your name, I think you've gotten to a different place. It's also probably the only beer in Georgia that's been embraced by Hollywood. Like it actually shows up in several different Avenger movies. And I think that's a good representation of Stacey Abrams too, right? She was embraced by Hollywood and they supported her. And to me, that's Tropicalia. It's a locally made beer that is delicious. It's got a lot of passion in it, passion fruit specifically. And it's been embraced by Hollywood. To me, that's streams, Stacey Abrams. Nice tie-in with the Avengers. Their sales must have doubled, I think, after that came out. When you Uh. see Thor sitting in a chair, sipping a Trop,
0: then people want us. Did she also play a galactic president of, in Star Trek at some point? She's one of the Star Trek, Trek, Trek franchises. He's a, got a real nerdy background when it comes to Star Trek, and I think Tropicalia is a very nerdy beer when it comes to
2: how they put it together. So I think it works on multiple levels.
1: So I get the feeling you're not going to be as gracious
2: on the MTG. <laughs> what I'm going to suggest is a perfect representation of a beverage that you would have that represents Marjorie Taylor Greene. It starts with a Four logo USA. Um loco is their new delicious sour white cherry. And I feel like that is very much a Marjorie Taylor green, but to really try to bring it home, I think you need to take an Adderall, crush it up, and then put it into the Four Loco. <laughs> that is a Marjorie Taylor green for me. I wouldn't be shocked if she's already drinking
1: that. Oh
2: my goodness. I will
1: say I don't recommend actually putting pills your, into your beverages. Your disclaimer is noted. Yes. That's great. No. <laughs> Oh, those are fantastic. So, John, you've got more than Georgia Beer Garden there. Give everyone a quick rundown on all of your ventures there in Atlanta, where they're at, so if they're in town, they can come by and see you.
2: Sure, absolutely. So, uh, the very first place we opened was Joystick Game Bar, a retro arcade bar We great cocktails. We're a nerdy dive bar. We're also on Edgewood Avenue 47. My business partner in that, Brandon Lie, we're 50 We've been around for a long time. It's a good place. We've made all sorts of lists. You need a place to drink or have fun in Atlanta or even a good date night. That's a great list. Georgia Beer Garden's been open less than that, about six, seven years. Business partner there is, again, still brand new life. Again, like in primarily beers from all over the state of Georgia. We like supporting local breweries because we know that supports local jobs. And also, we make good beer in this state. We just don't get as much attention as all the others hmm Upstairs at Beer Garden, we own Mambo Zombie with our friend and business partner, Keisha Cyrus. It's very Latin American. It's very Afro-Caribbean. It's not tiki, but it's not not tiki. You have to definitely walk <laughs> into a giant pink leather lined coffin. And we're very proud about what Keisha's doing, that everything is super fresh. We don't buy sugarcane cane juice. We buy sugar cane. We have a juicer behind the bar. So you can use simple ingredients to produce things that are just delicious. She's killing it. We were named Best New Cocktail Bar in Atlanta. For 2022 by uh, eater atlanta so we're very happy about that and then in midtown atlanta we're in a food hall called the collective it's a, a bar called by weight and measure our business partner there ian carlson is our former general manager at Beer Garden and joystick and he's doing things with science and cocktails that are just blowing my mind he doesn't just infuse a gin let's say by putting strawberries into it he's slicing those up. He's dehydrating those. He's putting them into a centrifuge. He's intensifying the flavor and creating, I think, some of the best cocktails in the city. That from Lombo too. And we'd love for you to come and spend all your money. at all. Awesome. We'll
1: get details into the show notes. That's, That's great. Great. Thank you.
0: Listen, Johnny, first of all, thank you for holding open Georgia Beer Garden as the public house. We love that you're involved in politics and that your patrons care about it. And it sounds like you've built a pretty great culture there in the neighborhood. So thanks for doing that. And also thanks for joining us today, giving us the background of not just your establishment, but your own political background. It's wonderful to hear someone who's been involved at that level and kind of came up from being a teenage Republican and now as an entrepreneur in the neighborhood. It's just great to have you on. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad you all are doing this. You know, we don't talk to
2: each other anymore. We just talk at each other. And I think if we're gonna change things for the better, regardless of your political persuasion in this country, then we have to figure out a way to communicate that doesn't just devolve.
1: Yeah, we're doing this podcast to talk to guys like you. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank y'all for giving it. Kacho, that was great. I mean, such a politically involved bartender with lots of insights. What'd you pick up out of that conversation? Well, first of all,
0: as I said, I love that he's kind of gone the direction of bringing politics into the bar, you know, and being kind of a radical free speecher, where he'll host a libertarian, a Republican, Democrat. Obviously, he's a progressive, but I like how deeply committed he is to having that conversation in the bar. Most of the places that we would talk to, they're going the other direction. You know, politics sometimes a little uncomfortable in the bar. Also, I definitely thought, you know, his comments about Joe Biden... And his concern if Biden's the nominee for what would happen in Georgia in 2024 was interesting. I'm not sure if Trump's the nominee, maybe it ends up the same way and it's just really close. I don't know. But I think the concerns about Joe Biden and his age are definitely going to be front of mind for progressives like Johnny who want to see the Democrats be successful in the election.
1: Right. So no passion for Biden in that base. And you got to wonder if Trump's not the nominee, you know, is it going to become a bit of a turnout problem for Democrats in states like Georgia where the balance of the election will take place. You know, the other thing that struck me, he did get to that point of just talking about how exhausted people are mm-hmm. of the conflict and politics, mm-hmm. how friends would check in on them when there was some type of demonstration or march downtown in Atlanta. And that's another theme that we kick up on. Literally, as we record this Donald Trump is being perp-walked. You know, our politics <laughs> just remain absolutely batshit crazy. And there's just an exhaustion level that we start to pick up from people.
0: Well, the Georgia tie-in there is Marjorie Taylor Greene right
1: across the street from Trump Tower holding a rally today. Right. Well, Kajal, great episode. I want to give a special thanks to my friend Natalie who referred Johnny to us. And we want to remind people, please send us your picks for bartenders. This pod is successful with your participation of recommendations.
0: That's right, Rob. That's it for this episode. Thank you for giving Highball Politics a shot, pun intended.
1: Join us next week as we pull up a barstool in another politically and culturally important state, interview a bartender, and find out what's going on with the locals, what they're drinking, and what they're saying. Until then, Kochel, cheers. Cheers, Rob.
0: Highball Politics is a podcast presentation of Highball Media. Executive producers are David Kochel and me, Rob Stutzman. Our producer is Miranda Perrin. Please send your bartender nominations and any questions to highballpolitics at gmail.com.
1: And find us on social media. We're at Highball Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And if you were brave enough
0: to make this week's signature
1: cocktail,
0: please remember to tag your picks of this week's with the hashtag Highball Podcast.
1: And if you want to support our show, please subscribe to Highball Politics wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five star review and please share this episode with your friends. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.